Hi, you are listening to an Age podcast. I'm Michael Schlechter, the Age's digital editor, and today I'm talking with Tony Wright, political writer, columnist, and Hardly Davidson tragic. Hi, Tony. This is a very dull election. Or am I missing something? Well, it, the problem with it is it's going for so long. And I think that's quite deliberate on part of uh, Malcolm Turnbull. He decided to have this thing spread out out of a long time. Now, of course, the, there are dangers in that. But uh, nobody seems to be terribly engaged in it unless they are uh, political tragics themselves. But is it just about the time frame? I mean, it does seem particularly dull in, in the day-to-day well, events they're putting on. They're not saying very much. They, well, they're not. They're, they're saying... Uh, very little in quite a lot of words as they tramp around the country. Um, and I think I've, I've done 13 elections and I've be, always been on the road. And this year I'm not on the road. That is, I'm not travelling on the bus and I'm not travelling on the planes. And, and, but and you are travelling on the bike. I'm, I'm travelling on the motorbike, <laughs> going around a few marginal seats and having a jolly good time by myself. Um, and, and thus I have a different viewpoint of it. If you're immersed in it, of course... You think, my God, this is very exciting. You know, you're waking up in a different town every day. You're uh, falling over television cords, um, and uh, I, I believe it's quite a quite a a fight out there to get into the whole thing because everyone's got a mobile phone now, and they're trying to make their own little videos and their own photos. And the photographers, the actual photographers with their big cameras are trying to get in over the top. And That must clash with that sort of control factor that they try to keep. Absolutely it does. Um, but it perhaps plays into that as well because um, they can, uh, the, the leaders can forge on and sit down with little children as they tend to do and we see it every, every night almost at the moment. Bill Shorten seems to spend half his life crawling around the floor of kindergartens and childcare <laughs> centres um, and, uh, and the uh, Prime Minister does too from time to time. But um, I think the truth about an election camp- campaign is that most of them are five weeks and people don't really begin to focus until the last couple of weeks anyway when it suddenly occurs to everyone, we've got to take this seriously, got to actually vote in a few days' time. Uh, this one being so uh, elongated um, allows people to turn off for a longer time and thus it appears that nobody is engaged. Now, I, mean, I think people I was... will get engaged in the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to ask, I guess, is it, has it always been thus? You know, was it more interesting in the Hawke days or the Keating days or... Well, it was for me because I was, I was, you know, part of that travelling party and uh, and Hawke and, and Keating and Howard and Beasley and Latham and so forth all seemed to be terribly exciting um, at from time to time um, during an election campaign because you weren't quite sure who was going to win the election. But there were two things that were um, laid out in stone really back in the Hawke days and that is you don't have a long election campaign and you don't have one running into winter. Well, that's because Bob Hawke had both of those. He did have a long campaign and at the end of it he was a bit concerned that uh, mightn't actually win it. Um, And he had one running into winter and I'm told that uh, a lot of the people on the on the campaign trail, including those around Bob Hawke, got the flu and got a cold and, and the general feeling was that the public didn't really want to turn out on a Saturday winter cold 
um, Saturday when they'd rather be at the footy or, or whatever and uh, were a bit down mouth when they went voting. So from then on, it became this, we don't have long campaigns, we don't have winter campaigns, and here's Malcolm Turnbull having <laughs> both of them. exactly. Let me ask you about, I mean, surely you've become friends with some of these politicians along the way and or got to know them better. You know, maybe friendship is too close a, a relationship, but how do you deal with that when you do become friends or, or know them well? I think the, the only way you can deal with it really is uh, through a bit of experience. Um, I remember the first time I became a political correspondent at, in Parliament House in Canberra was 1989, and, uh, and one of... Uh, Bob Hawke's press secretaries rang me up and said, ah, mate, uh, the boss would like to see you. And I thought, how exciting is this, <laughs> you know? So I got my notebook and pen and went down there and, and was ushered into the Prime Minister's office. And there's Bob Hawke, big cigar, offered me a cigar. What was he dressed in? Uh, well, I can't rem- remember what he was dressed in, but I'm pretty sure it would have been, uh, you know, a suit. He, he was uh, he was a suit. He was known suit. for fairly garish ties and things. Like oh that. no, no, no 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 he he had a dresser and she was oh, right. she was terrifically good at uh, at choosing the right suit and I can tell you a story about that in a minute. Uh, but um, anyway, he he was there behind his desk and he said, "Ah, g'day, mate. Uh, <laughs> uh, the boys tell me you're all right." And that was because some of those fellows uh, came from. Albury, the Border Morning Mail, where I'd, I'd worked. I have worked there myself. Yeah, I, I, I shared a house with a bloke who became the Prime Minister's press secretary. Um, there was Jeff Walsh. Um, there was um, Barry Cassidy, who started his career at the Border Morning Mail. So this was sort of known as the Border Mail or the Albury Mafia. And <laughs> right. suddenly I was part of this. And I, and I looked at this and thought, here I am. My first day, the Prime Minister's offering him a cigar in his office and, ah, mate, uh, yeah, <laughs> need any, any, uh, any help, just, just, give, just give us a call, mate. <laughs> You're and, being uh, wooed. And I suddenly thought, my God, you know, if I allow myself to go down this road, um, I will be a wholly owned uh, one-person conglomerate of, uh, of the Hawke government. So, uh, you know, you take a step back um, and it's not all that hard. Uh, those days on those election campaign trails, it was very easy to get to know the leader because you were travelling with them. And what, by that I mean on the VIP Boeing 707. They, they had two, one for the opposition leader, one for the Prime Minister, and you'd change week about, or I did. Um, and uh, the Prime Minister would be up the front of the plane, or the opposition leader, and they'd wander down and sit down uh, among you and, and brief you about what their point of view was about anything and it was it was very very helpful because of course you got a, a proper background briefing you got to know their moods and so forth and in the early days of course there were no mobile phones and uh, no mobile cameras on your phone <laughs> um, so uh, nobody was going to tweet or Facebook or whatever the prime minister sitting around with a bunch of journalists down the back of the plane so you 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 got close uh, but you always knew that, you know, you could get dragged in too far. And some people did, of course, but most people in the press gallery understand how this works. 
in recent times, of course, the Prime Minister or the opposition leader travels on their own plane, in their own convoy, um, and uh, the media are on chartered planes that follow them around and then get on buses and follow them around and it's a magical mystery tour. Nobody knows where you're going to be from one minute to the next. So you don't really get close to them. Yeah, then you get your allotted time where he talks in sound very, bites. Very small amount of allotted, yeah. allotted time. Uh, once they've you know gone through the uh, the mall and tripped over local people and and, and so you forth. Have, you have to tell us about Bob's dresser. I'm sorry, but <laughs> you, you, I will in a second. But you, you're handed a piece of paper, uh, which gives the the policy of the day or the handout of the day or whatever, and then given an immediate opportunity to ask questions without being properly briefed. So um, it's a it's a different experience these days. But to go back to, but this is a story I was told anyway about how uh, Bob uh, suddenly became a well dressed. Uh, Prime Minister, even though he was uh, quite well known for dressing himself at the uh, Greg Norman <laughs> golf shop, basically, <laughs> and, uh, he had no taste at all. Um, when it became clear that he was going to become Prime Minister, the uh, the minders put him on a plane and brought him down to Melbourne, put him up at a hotel, and uh, organised for George's, which was you know a wonderful shop, yeah, very exclusive store uh, up, up the top of uh, Collins Street there. Um, to open on a Sunday morning and they were shepherding him up there when he ran into, and I won't name it, but a, another politician who uh, was also known for having a total taste bypass. And he said, oh, mate, where are you going? And Bob said, oh, the boys are taking us. We have to get some clothes. You want to come along? And, 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 of course, the boys were shocked and horrified. But anyway, took him along. And uh, so uh, here's Bob with this other politician in one corner, and, uh, you know, putting on the, the purple velvet uh, <laughs> sports jacket and the, the white sport jacket and, the, and, the, and, the, uh, and, and this bloke saying, oh, mate, that's fantastic. You, to, you need grey shoes with that. That's terrific. And those, those, uh, those red pants, hey, fantastic. The girls will really go for you. And over the other side of the shop, the boys are just going through and they've got all the, all the uh, waist measurements and so forth and... They walk over to Bob and say, righto, we've done, Bob, let's go. Goes, yeah, but uh, uh, I haven't got the uh, white sports jacket yet. And, the, uh, and they said, no, no, we've got your clothes. We've got the... Uh, We're all done. We've got the, the charcoal suit. Blue ties. <laughs> and we've got the, uh, the blue suit with the, with the, uh, the, the pinstripes and, uh, and um, we've got the black suit. And How did he find it. that? How did he because there was that transformation with Bob, wasn't there, from being the larrikin, beer-drinking bloke to... Enormous. And well, number one, he gave up the grog. Yeah. So when you saw him up close, how did he, how did he react to Oh, that? he was very much the hail fellow well met, unless he was in a really bad mood, in which case his minders were very good. They would sort of lock him away <laughs> so that you didn't see too much of that. Uh, but uh, Hawke did have that touch of being able to... Um, Talk to every person, you know. I mean, on election campaign trails, to go back to campaign trails, I remember once seeing him on a, on a street walk in, I think it was Brisbane or somewhere, and he was walking along and, and uh, these people are yelling out and he looked at them. Yeah, there were a couple. He looked at them and uh, um, the, the you could see, the, according to some of those who were very close to him at the time, you could see his mind working. And he got to the end of the uh, the walk and he came back and he said, Oh, Ron, Hazel, how are you? <laughs> um, yeah. And they've gone, 
oh, Bob, I can't imagine that you would have remembered us. He said, oh, yeah, mate, uh, you know, the uh, the RSL club uh, three years ago, we were, we were sitting oh, down having remarkable. a bit of a chat. Yeah. He had that, uh, he had that ability. Memory. And a lot of politicians do have that ability. Well, they say that about Bill Clinton, that he thrives yeah. off that human contact. Yeah. He, he almost grows out of it. He, it's, the, it's the thing that energises him. Yeah, well, I, I, that, that's exactly right. And I think you, you need a bit of life experience to be able to do that too. And, uh, you know, Hawke, we talk about him as a union leader and so forth, but he'd done all sorts of things um, and, uh, um, and been in all sorts of situations, some of them not all that... <laughs> All that conducive to good health. So, do you see that at all with Turnbull or Shorten when they when they're in the crowd? You... Uh, look, um, I as I say, I haven't been on this campaign trail. Um, clearly, both of them uh, have quite high intellectual ability, mm-hmm. and both of them have fairly high emotional um, uh, ability as well to be able to. You know, you've got to remember that um, Shorten comes from a, a union background where he was working, operating with all sorts of um, different people. And uh, and Turnbull has been all uh, all things to all men, um, from, you know, working with Kerry Packer uh, to working as a journalist to uh, uh, a lawyer and, and, and a business person and somebody who's travelled all, all over the place and... It does seem a bit forced, though, when you when you see it on TV. I mean, it's hard to to get the real life what it's like in there and then. But on yeah. TV, it does look a little forced well, when they're doing it. It has become more and more forced during this campaign. I think. Uh, I think um, uh, Turnbull seemed to be much easier going and and, and so forth uh, some months ago than he is now. And 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 of course, Bill Shorten's got this sort of almost demented smile on his face <laughs> when he's jogging around the place. So they're both for- forcing it, um, but they all do. I mean, Kevin Rudd, for instance, his his campaign uh, was an astonishing thing. I couldn't believe that the Australian public were so swept away by Kevin Rudd because he just seemed to have that ability for a period there uh, to... Uh, to reach out and, and, and grab people. Well, and I guess on TV it looked that, it looked that way. He seemed to connect to people. He and then, to then he won like, and his first press conference, he was cold mm-hmm. and uh, 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 sweeping all the questions aside. He only took 13 questions and walked away and you went, who is this bloke? And, of but course, it was the Australian genuine. people worked that out after yeah. a while. But, but during the campaign, you say it was genuine, though. He did actually connect to people. He was good at that. Uh, he, he did, yeah. He, 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 was, he was a very, very good uh, performer, I should mm-hmm. say. Uh, Julia Gillard uh, probably would have been a lot better if she hadn't um, done that thing or allowed herself to be drawn into that thing of the real Julia. I mean, the moment she and her people said... Today you're going to see the real Julia. People suddenly went, uh, "Who was she before?" We thought we knew the real Julia. So, the, and, I, and I'm not trying to pick on her or in particular. All of these people have their own quirks, and uh, you know, well, the real Julia was, another one. was meant to be quite warm and 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 good with people. Yeah, she she had been very good, but having uh, allowed herself to be thrust into the prime ministership in the way she did. I think uh, that election campaign was a very big drain on her. She really didn't know how to uh, ha- how she was going to uh, um, continue to link herself to the people who were saying, oh, you know, you're an assassin. And also you had um, 
Kevin Rudd wandering around the background undermining dramatically. Mm. And I think um, probably uh, during this election campaign, uh, Bill, uh, uh, Malcolm Turnbull is very, very concerned or was very, very concerned that he might have been undermined by Tony Abbott and his people. Well, they seem to have dropped off doing Don't that. That was happened. before the campaign. That's right. I have to ask about Keating, of course, where he had that oh. dual personality where he clearly loved the you know, the fine arts and beautiful suits, but yeah. also portrayed himself as a man of the people because he'd, you know, been brought up in in working class background. Oh, uh, yeah, the, 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 the Paul Keating wrong side of the track story because they all have these stories, <laughs> the, the right. log cabin story. His father, in fact, uh, had a, uh, a quite a, 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 a good business in the electrical business. Um, and, you know, uh, Paul Keating, after he'd left school and was... Uh, and was uh, running bands and getting involved. He, he was driving around an E-type, E-type, E-type Jag. So let's not uh, fall for all these stories about <laughs> sure. the... Uh, but when uh, you saw him close the, up then the and cabin. dealing with people, how was he? Oh, he well, he could be incredibly arrogant and dismissive of those he didn't see worthy of, uh, of being in his presence, really. But he could also be utterly fascinating. You know, I mean, uh, we'd just about have to do a whole podcast <laughs> just uh, on, on Paul Keating because he was such a complicated uh, character who uh, in, in one minute could could uh, make you feel like you were the centre of the universe and the next uh, you'd feel like you were a snail Banished. about to be uh, put under his, uh, his, his boot. Um, Keating... Polarised people, which is why, of course, um, that 1996 election came along and um, a, a mate of mine used that wonderful term, uh, they were sitting on their porches with their baseball bats. That's right, um, yes. and, and probably in 1993, his first election campaign, um, he won it or didn't lose it because people couldn't bring themselves to uh, embrace uh, John Hewson, who was also a fascinating character, um, also with his own log cabin story and, uh, you know, wrong side of the tracks yeah. and so forth and and used to uh, suggest that Paul Keating, you know, wouldn't know what it was like to come from the... <laughs> from well, let me ask you the Desert Island question then, of course, is that which one of them would you would you want to have on the island with you? If you had oh, to God, pick one. None of them. I mean, they're <laughs> politicians. <laughs> you know, oh, give, give me John, John F. Kennedy <laughs> and Marilyn Monroe maybe. Sure. Um, but uh, look, th- those election campaigns uh, are, are endlessly interesting, um, but usually only in the last few weeks. Thank you, Tony. It's been a pleasure talking with you. My pleasure. <laughs> 